Hello everyone, Cody here. Today we've got another episode of our COVID Around the World series. We have Natalie Fodiatis interviewing Laura from Bogota, Colombia. Take a step back with us to the early days of the pandemic and listen to how the people of Bogota, Colombia dealt with some of the social distancing issues that came up in the early days. Enjoy. <music> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast Against Disease. I'm your host for the day, Natalie Fodiatis, and our next guest in the COVID Around the World mini-series that we're doing is Laura from Colombia. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Laura. Well, thank you, Natalie, for having me in this beautiful project. So, Laura, can you tell our guests a little bit about who you are, where you're from, where you live, and what you do in your life? Yeah, I'm from Colombia. I currently live in Bogota. I'm a lecturer at the university here in Bogota, and I also do some research projects related to justice systems here in Colombia. And I live with my parents with this situation. Were you living with your parents before? or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, have, I had plans to go by myself, but this has postponed my plans. It's postponed a lot of plans for many people. So that's, I think, a shared experience that a lot of people have. So you're a lecturer and you teach in, you said justice, that's what you do your research in? Well, Is that... no, actually... Uh, I teach in industrial engineering. Uh, we like to make models of justice system to make them more effective. So, yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I'm an engineer. Okay, so an engineer that builds models to improve justice systems in Colombia. Yeah. Wow. Basically that. <laughs> Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about what... COVID-19 is like in, in Colombia and in Bogota? Yeah, well, in Colombia, this situation started in the beginning of March. Then, like around mid-March, I personally had volunteer social isolation for a week. And then we had uh, this, like a drill for the whole Bogota for a weekend. And then since March 25th, We've had national mandatory lockdown. For now, it is supposed to end at the end of May 25th, but we've had three extensions, so there's only uncertainty about that and when it's going to end. Uh, here in Bogota, we have something called piquigenero that translates like peak and gender, which means that on even days, women can go out and on odd days, men can go out. But we are only allowed to go out for some exceptions like the grocery stores, the pharmacy, the bank, medical emergencies, etc. And since last week, we can go out for an hour to exercise and with our face masks and obviously respecting social distance. But uh, we, we needed that. We've had like a month confined in our homes and 
the body needs to go out and have some fresh air. So that's a good thing that has been happening since last week. But of course, all economic sectors are working remotely and they are, they are all worried about designing safety protocols that allow them to begin to function again, obviously while being safe, uh, because our economy can't handle this isolation for too much time. So that's basically like a big picture here in Colombia. Well, thank you for giving that, that broad overview of what the situation is like. A couple of things that you said were interesting to me. One of them, um, do you know what the origin of that different genders go out on different days policy? Do you know where that comes from or, or what the reasoning for that is? Uh, yeah, the reason is to have the population that can go out on some days. But I think that there might be other ideas, but I think that from an engineering perspective, I think that reduces the population that goes out every day. So. And that's yeah, that does make sense because that's generally the easiest way to split people into two groups. You have, I mean, I know that's changing for many people, but most people still fall into into male or female, and it's a pretty easy way to divide divide the numbers. Yeah, and that. That classification of male, female, obviously had some some difficulties because, well, you can't obviously classify people by male and female. Yeah, it was the easiest way, I think. And in an emergency scenario, well, you have to take decisions quickly. And that was, I think, the best solution they could get to. Right, okay. And mandatory national lockdown, you said it was only last week that you were able to leave your house for up to an hour to do exercise. So before that, you couldn't go for a walk. You could only leave your house on a designated day to go to the grocery store or pharmacy or something yeah. along those lines. That's right. We, I personally was going insane. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really you hard. could only go to the grocery store or to the bank and with your mask and like for the time that took and back home. So it was a little bit difficult <laughs> for the first days. I can imagine. And where you live, do you have a balcony, a yard? Yeah, thankfully I have a balcony and my mom loves plants and she has a beautiful garden there. So yes, I, I have had the opportunity to work there and have some fresh air and receive some sun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think about people that don't have that and I think that maybe kids are having a hard time not being allowed to go out because actually they, with this, uh, that we can go out for an hour, they, they are not allowed. Nor elderly people beyond 70 years they are not allowed to go out for any reason. And have the measures worked as far as you know? Well, I think we've flattened the curve a little bit. We've had some success. I also think that we were not doing enough tests. So maybe the problem is bigger than we really think it or, or what numbers show. But yes, I think that doing this 
versus not doing anything, of course, I, I really think that our health system has had the capacity to adapt, to build some capacities, some ventilators and, and have the infrastructure to cope with the situation. So I think that it has helped as we have bought the health system some time to be prepared. But yeah, we're, we're today in 10,000 cases. It's a big number, but I think we're doing it okay. Is that in the whole country? Yeah, in the whole country. So, yeah, it's, it's not the numbers you have in the U.S., but I guess that has to do with our health system. I mean, it's not the same quality, it's not the same size. So we're doing what we can with what we have. <laughs> so, yeah, if you compare with other, other countries in the region, for example, Chile... Chile has a lot of cases, but has a, a low mortality rate. So re compared to Colombia's, because we've had like a 6% mortality rate. So okay. that's a little bit worrying. But I think like all this isolation and social isolation has brought us some time. As a lecturer, you are able to continue lecturing and, and able to do research in some capacity. Was that a big shift for you, or were you pretty well prepared to do that? Yeah, well, I have worked from home all my life. I am a lecturer, but I don't have an office at the university. So I most of my time I work from home, so that's not new for me. But designing all my, my activities has not been easy. Like virtual dynamics with students are so much different. Uh, and I feel that sometimes it is limited in so many ways. For example, the interaction with students, looking at faces, reactions. And now all I see is my, my screen. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's really difficult to understand what's happening to them, with them. Of course, my students have been amazing with all this and have responded great to these new dynamics, but uh, I know for sure it has not been easy for them. Uh, some of them have family dynamics, like they're not accustomed to being all day connected to a computer, or some have limited resources and have to share computers with their brothers, or they don't have a good Wi-Fi so they can connect during the sessions. So us, uh, like as teachers, we need to think of all these possibilities to guarantee that all of our students receive the same education and try to not like give some privilege to the ones that have all the resources. So yeah, it's, it's been like a challenge and it, it has not been easy, but I think we've done a good job uh, the university to to allow our students to continue their process and yeah my projects continue virtually and uh, fortunately can be done from well remotely so that has been not a problem it's positive for you in terms of feedback from your students so you were mentioning that without being in a face-to-face -face setting where you can see their faces and you can get that feel to determine their understanding and how things are going. Without having that, how are you able to try to get that information in new ways? And I would imagine that from the start of switching to online to now, maybe you've 
you've learned some ways to adapt that at the start you you didn't quite have yeah i i have a team a great team uh my tas and uh, i have some assistants that are actually like friends with my students so uh, i've used this as a mechanism to get to know what students are feeling and how they're coping and i actually have done something that it's worked for me that is at the at the beginning of my classes i have this whiteboard and i ask some questions and they're anonymous so i ask like how are you what have you done what have you learned what has been the most difficult thing about this covid situation and some students really get to use that space to to let me know what they're uh, what they're experiencing so yeah i've i've tried of course i ask them but most of them don't want to speak about it so i've had different strategies to to get to know what they're experiencing that anonymous whiteboard sounds like a very good idea because it opens up a space for people to participate without feeling pressure or feeling whatever other things might, right? With your justice work, are there ways in which either currently or in the future you are going to be connecting justice work to this period in history? Is there any implications that you either are seeing or think you will see? Yeah, definitely. I think that I've had two ideas. First one is that the justice system needs to think in in a virtual world, like uh, electronic, having information accessible to people electronically has to be the, the way to go. And virtual dyna- dynamics, I think that, for example, here in Colombia, we have our sessions need to be like uh, all people in the session and maybe we can think of alternatives in which people can connect through Skype to be in the session. So I think this has opened some opportunities to think about systems in a different way. But I also have a challenge because we, our methodology is to build our models like in sessions with people uh, looking at dynamics, looking at how they react, how they build within communities. So it's, it's, it's a challenge that has been growing these days as how are we going to build these models from community d- dynamics without being with them right there. So I think that's an opportunity and a challenge that we're having with this COVID situation regarding the justice systems. It certainly sounds like it. And it seems like they're in the same way that you thought of ways to connect with your students by offering this anonymous whiteboard that there will be a need to develop other ways to connect with communities even though you can't presently be with them. But there's, as you said, it sounds like challenge and opportunity ahead in finding new ways to be able to connect with people without physically being there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a challenge. Are there any 
things that you've experienced or things that you've thought about as a result of the COVID situation that you haven't already shared that you would like to share with the broader audience? Uh, well, I think that may be connected with the last thing I, I said about this challenge. I have experienced, and I think, I don't know if maybe it's a Colombian thing, but we are really personal and really physical in our relationships. So I have discovered that even though technology and social media have this have been our salvation these days as we can connect and we can see our uh, loved ones i think that technology will never be able to replace human contact and our ways in relating with with others so even though you're in a meeting with your friends and everybody has a beer and everybody's happy like it, it will never be the same as, as being in the same space uh, hugging looking at each other's eyes so that's the thing i discovered that technology our phones our social media our facebook instagram everything will never replace our ability to build um human relationships and 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 that's that's one thing i i've learned from this and in here here in colombia of course we have big challenges in our rural areas but i have learned that colombians have been really generous and empathetic with these situations and have uh, had like have been really creative uh, in like in thinking of ways to help this people that well we're in bogota and we're privileged and we have wi-fi and we have all the facilities and it's really easy to be like remote, but we have really big challenges in our rural areas. So that's been also like a new challenge uh, with this COVID situation. Do you think going forward when things begin to open up and we know now there's not going to be a complete return to pre-COVID life, um, immediately and you mentioning this understanding this real need for for physical contact human touch and, and close interaction that can't be replaced with technology what are some of the ways that you think we might be able to slowly go back to a more satisfying emotional life in that way um, while also not overburdening our, our healthcare systems with this with this terrible disease that's that's crippling life at the moment do you have any thoughts on how how that might look well I, I definitely think that we're going to have a like a face mask fashion period we need to all be protecting ourselves for some time. Uh, but I think that we need to be able to live our lives and connect, like I, I, I imagine, like in groups of maximum 10 people, of course, knowing they're not sick. Relationships need to be more responsible. Like if I know I have a cough, 
I'm not even gonna try to go out of my house because there's a risk. Yeah, I think that we need to be more responsible and take care of each other a little bit more with this new fashion of face masks and everything. But uh, I think we need to reactivate social life because we have we've. I, I think this social isolation is is developing some other problems like mental health problems, like physical problems for not being able to exercise, vitamin D deficiencies, a whole lot new problems that I know we have to prioritize this COVID situation, but I think that maybe we can take care of other problems like mini actions. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe we can design some guidelines for reunions, maximum of 10 people that have to be using face masks and, of course, uh, being responsible. So, yeah, I think we, we need to change our, our usual way of, of meeting with others. But, yeah, I, I think we definitely need to. Feeling that need to resume at least a little bit of normalcy and get back to having those more intimate connections in person. Do you have any questions that you want to ask either our listeners or any future guests to respond to or share their thoughts on? Yeah, I well, I know my Colombian people and I know how we've been coping, but I think that maybe we can find different ways of coping regarding our cultures. So I would like to know what they have learned from themselves and from their societies, like if they're altruists or they're generous or they have definitely, they're not worrying about the others. So I would like to know what they have learned from their societies. Okay. So you want to know what people in other countries have learned about their societies based on this experience and with the hope of learning new ways of coping, ideally, that would be yeah. that would be the goal. If someone says, well, I've learned in my country that people don't care about one another, I'm not really sure how that, but maybe it'll help you cope in the sense of, well, here we, we do care about each other. So I suppose there's always a silver lining that can be found if you look hard enough. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Laura, thank you very much for coming on, for sharing your perspective and sharing your experience and and your questions. Hopefully, future guests will be able to provide some answers. I know in some of our previous guests, they have spoken to those issues. So feel free to check out those those episodes and we will continue on with this series with guests from other countries around the world and good luck to you wish you all the best okay thank you natalie for having me and for having this conversation i i really think that we all need to reflect on what's happening and this opportunity has been a great space for that thank you for sharing that take good care okay thank you you too thank you for joining us if you like what you heard Make sure that you subscribe and tell your friends. If you'd like to uh, reach us, you can find us at Against Disease at Instagram and Twitter and at Humanity Against Disease at Facebook or at againstdisease at gmail.com. 
Hope to see you again soon.